And so finally, Lord, I ask you to bless Pastor Abby Walker as she comes to uh, present to us the living word of God through your written word and spoken word. And I pray, Lord, that you anoint her words um, and that we hear your voice through her speaking to our hearts and our minds that we may become more like you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Welcome, Pastor Abby Walker. Good morning. It's so good to be here with all of you today. I grew up here at Countryside, and to be back in this space is just such a gift and such a blessing. And I want to introduce my, I've got four girls. I'm a mom of four, Stella, Lucy, Mabel, and Harper. And they're uh, a part of the ministry here at Countryside as well. But like I said, I grew up here, and it is in this space, which not this sanctuary. This wasn't here when I was a kid. But on this property that I first fell in love with the Word of God and sensed a call to pastoral ministry. So it's uh, just amazing to be here and be able to share the Word with you all because this is where I was first inspired and called into ministry. After I graduated, I moved to Chicago and I went to North Park University, our denomination undergrad, and I earned my bachelor in biblical and theological studies there. And then I went on to North Park Theological Seminary and earned my MDiv, was ordained in the covenant, and I've pastored two covenant churches, one in Nebraska, right by Covenant Cedars, and then one in Phoenix, Arizona. Right now, I am serving as a hospice chaplain, and I sit at the bedside every day with people who are facing their mortality, people who are staring death in the face and um, entering that, those last days with their loved ones. And I have sat with uh, patients as old as 110 that have outlived their children and patients who hold their newborn babies in their arms. And this work has taught me a lot about pain and suffering and also joy. I have learned that pain is inevitable, suffering is optional, and joy is possible. And so I'm going to start by talking about the inevitability of pain, but bear with me because I promise we're going somewhere good. We're not going to stay in the thick of the pain today. But there is circumstantial pain, right? There's pain that just is a part of being human. There's the pain of things happen to us or we make choices, and because of those choices, we face the consequences of our actions. And so this pain is circumstantial. And this pain causes us to um, find all kinds of creative ways to deal with it, right? So we, we experience this pain, and then we decide to pick up these different coping mechanisms. We start binge-watching Netflix or working ourselves to death or drinking too much or all of these different things that we pick up to try and mask that pain of what's happened to us. So there's circumstantial pain. And then there's this pain at a deeper level. There's this pain that we experience because we are separate 
from God. There's a pain that is deeper in our being because we have been born into our mortal bodies on this earth and we, we can tell that we're longing, that we're missing something, and we don't always associate it with our disconnection from our creator, our life source. And so we, from a very early age, when we were born and we started to feel this absence of God, we started to develop all kinds of other ways that we were going to deal with this pain. And so whether we um, go about our days and we try to find ways to be successful or make money or um, not become knowledgeable and understand things or gain power and control. These are all ways that we try to mask both the circumstantial and this deeper state of being pain in our lives. And when we do this, we end up walking over in this direction. Now, uh, the gospel of Luke is known as the gospel of joy because it begins, it ends, and it's filled with joy. Of all the gospels, joy is abounding in the gospel of Luke. And in chapter 2, verse 15, when the angel appears to the shepherds in the field to tell them about the birth of Jesus, the angel says, I bring you good news of great joy for all people. And there are two things that are true of all people. All people for all time, born 2,000 years ago, born 2,000 years from now, both Christians and atheists, people across the world and here, all people seek to avoid pain and pursue joy. These are the two things that are common among all people. And in our avoidance of pain, that's when we start to journey in this direction, finding all of these ways to mask it, to cover it up, to avoid it, to deny it, to ignore it, to pretend like that pain isn't there. We do everything possible. And what we don't realize is that when we walk over here in this avoidance of pain, we are actually walking in the opposite direction of pursuing joy. And everything we do to avoid pain is what causes the suffering in our lives. That suffering is optional. So that pain is inevitable. That pain is always going to be a part of our human condition. But that suffering that we create because we don't deal with the pain is actually optional. I've learned so much about our culture's denial of aging in the work that I do. We pretend like we aren't getting any older, and there's actually a $26 billion industry around our, our desire to pretend like we aren't getting any older. Our natural instinct is to avoid pain, to protect ourselves from having to feel the grief and the loss that we experience in our lives. And so we do whatever we possibly can to get through it by walking over here. Anything we can do to avoid the pain that we feel from the circumstances and also our disconnection from our life source, our creator God. The Apostle Paul writes about living by the flesh versus living by the spirit. Living by the flesh 
is living out of a false identity, a false sense of self that tries to lead us in this direction. But when we live by the Spirit, it actually takes us face-to-face with our pain and moving closer towards joy. Jesus' brother James wrote in his letter that we should consider it pure joy whenever we face trials of any kind. He says that it is the trials that produce perseverance, and the perseverance is what makes us mature and complete and not lacking anything. It is through the trials, it's through facing and dealing with the pain that we find joy. And it's actually in the pain, in those those darkest, most tender moments of our lives that we feel and experience God at a deeper level than we do at any other moments in our lives. But we've spent so much of our life moving in this direction, walking as far away from joy as we possibly can without even realizing it. And so sometimes when we're over here, there might be moments where we brush up against joy, like we kind of feel it for a moment, but then it goes away and we wonder where it went, what happened. Joy feels like this elusive pursuit that we just can't grasp. We can't get a hold of it. And this morning, I want to tell you that there are actually two parts to joy. The two parts to joy are that joy is both a gift and it's also a choice. Joy sometimes is just there because God just gives us joy because our God is an abundant giver who wants us to experience joy. And so sometimes it is just there. And sometimes you might meet somebody and you go, wow, they're really joyful. They're just a really joyful person. And then sometimes you meet someone else and you're like, they're not really a joyful person. There are people who just seem joyful and others who don't. And sometimes it feels like joy just isn't for me. The things that I've been through, the experiences I've had, the pain that I've gone through, joy just must not be in the cards for me. And sometimes we just wait around for it, hoping that joy will just appear like inspiration, like a fleeting uh, wind that comes across us, that it's either something you have or you're just not going to get. But for the most part, we have to learn, we have to practice, we have to actually do the work to cultivate joy in our lives. Joy comes from the Greek word that is also the root for the word grace and also gift. Joy is a gift. It's the great thing that's available to us because of the birth of Jesus Christ. Joy is a gift to us because that's just who our God is. Our God is generous and our God is creative and loving and desires joy for our lives. God wants all people to live lives overflowing with joy. And this joy isn't a fleeting feeling, and it's not an attempt to pretend like bad things aren't happening or that we haven't faced pain and and grief in our lives. This joy actually is bigger than all of that. This joy isn't circumstantial. This joy is going right up to that pain and working through it with God with us. And it's a joy that never runs out. And joy isn't just a gift, but joy is also 
a fruit. It's a discipline. It's a characteristic of the life of faith that we have committed ourselves to. It is something that we have to develop as disciples. And fruit doesn't just grow on trees. You have to work for it. You have to cultivate it. You have to do the hard labor of making that joy grow. Luke's gospel begins with John the Baptist leaping for joy in Elizabeth's womb when she encounters Jesus in Mary's womb. And the angel declaring to the shepherds that Jesus' birth is good news of great joy for all people. The end of the book of Luke is Jesus meeting Cleopas on the road to Emmaus. And, and once they get there, realizing that, that they've encountered the risen Christ, and so they return to Jerusalem, a city breaking out in violence and chaos, and they return there to meet the disciples. And it says that they go out with joy. They have that joy even in the midst of darkness, even in the midst of chaos, even when it feels like everything is falling apart. That joy is there. And Jesus tells us in the middle of Luke's gospel three stories about someone who loses something. The first story is about someone who has a hundred sheep, and they lose one of those hundred sheep. And when they realize this, they go out into the field and find that one sheep that was lost. And they carry it home, and it's cause for great celebration. And then the next story is about a woman who loses a coin. And this is what we're going to really look into today. Luke chapter 15, verses 8 through 10. Jesus says, Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, Jesus says, I tell you there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Suppose that a woman has 10 coins and loses one. That's one day's wage. So all that she does then, she takes the lamp, she lights the lamp, she sweeps the floor, and she searches the house until it is found. Just like the the person who lost their sheep went out to find the sheep, the sheep didn't do anything to be found. Also, this woman looks and searches for her coin, and this coin doesn't do anything to be found. It's all about God's love to come after us wherever we've wandered, wherever we've gone. God meets us even when we're clear over here in our darkest moments at the bottom of our experience. God meets us there and wants to bring us towards joy. So how do we go about this when we're in the middle of a painful season, when we've lost somebody that we love, when we've lost our job, when it feels like everything is falling apart all around us? How do we even get to the point of experiencing this kind of joy? Sometimes it's just there, like a gift. And sometimes we have to practice it like a fruit. 
We spend most of our lives going in this direction that we have to relearn how to move over here. I've been studying joy for a little while, and I'm starting to figure out how we might practice this a little bit better in our lives. And in doing so, I've come up with three R's for us to remember. In my grief work, I've learned that pain is inevitable, right? Suffering is optional, and joy is possible. But joy is only possible when we first choose to repent of our sin. We have to we have to decide that we're tired of running in this direction and that we're ready to do the work of cultivating joy. Florence Nightingale was a nurse in 1860, and she noticed that her patients, she would go in to check on them, and they would be shifted into positions that were causing them pain. That time and time again, she would go into their rooms, and they would be laying on their most painful side, but they had turned toward the light. It didn't matter how excruciating they, they felt laying on that side because they wanted to turn to the light. And most of the time, they didn't even realize that's what they were doing. They endured the pain in order to experience the light. The first thing that God did when God created the world was turn on the lights. The word repentance in Greek actually means to stop where you are, to stop the direction you're heading in, and turn the other way, to actually walk in a new direction. Repentance is about being remorseful of what we've done, realizing that we've ended up in the wrong direction, and deciding to choose a new path to walk. Henry Nouwen says to choose joy does not mean to choose happy feelings or an artificial atmosphere of hilarity, but it does mean the determination to let whatever takes place bring us one step closer to the God of life. So this isn't a superficial joy This isn't a joy that that just makes us feel good right now. It's not all of those strategies we've created to numb our pain. But this joy is when we choose to allow everything that happens to us, every circumstance that we experience, to lead us one step closer to God. But that's not where we naturally go. Our brains actually have a negativity bias. And so when something bad happens to us, when someone criticizes us, when someone says something that hurts our feelings, when something happens, we automatically hold on to it. But when someone gives us a compliment or something goes our way, we have to hold it for 15 seconds before we actually integrate it into our experience, or it goes away. So we have to be intentional about the positive, good things that are happening and know how to hold on to them. We create most of our suffering because we're human and we end up living by the flesh, which takes us in the wrong direction. But God was born into a human body to show us a different path to take. And that path leads us toward joy.
So the first thing we have to do is repent. We have to confess our sin, that we've wandered far in this direction in pursuit of all of the pleasures of the world instead of the deep abiding joy that God has for us. We have to confess that the way that we've attempted to fill that pain, that hole of disconnection, the way we've attempted to make ourselves feel better about the circumstances in our lives have taken us in an opposite direction than the direction that God has in store for us. And so today, we have to remember that we can choose joy or we can choose our suffering. Just like the woman who lost her coin, she turned on the light. So today, consider what needs a light shown on it in your life. What have you buried over there in the darkness? What pain is it that you've been trying to avoid? What has been tucked in the corner that needs attention today? There's something that needs dealt with, and it's time to shine a light on it because it's not doing us any good pretending like it doesn't exist. It's actually making us suffer more. In everything that happens to you, choose to take a step toward God. And thankfully, God meets us over there. When we wander over in this direction, God comes looking for us. God searches to find us and is ready to walk us toward joy. The second thing that we have to do is release all of that bitterness, that anger, that resentment that we have held on to because we are feeling terrible about what's happened to us, we hold on to this bitterness, this anger, this resentment. We find somebody to blame. We want someone or something to take responsibility for what has happened to us. And so we hold that tightly. And there is a uh, story that I read once about the capital city of Albania And this capital city, Tirana, was one of Europe's poorest capitals. I've got a picture of it up here. And after the fall of communist rule in the late 1990s, they uh, brought in a new mayor. But this city was wrought with crime. It was decaying. It was terrible. They said less than 1% of people were paying their taxes. The city was a complete mess. And so this new mayor comes in, and he says the city was dead. It looked like a transit station where one could, one could stay only if waiting for something. This isn't somewhere you wanted to stay for very long. So he put together a crew of painters who painted the entire city in vibrant colors. And he said that the city, after he was done with this revitalization, um, some of the citizens were obviously horrified to see all of these colors, but these colors actually began to transform the city. And over, um, over the course of time, 100% of people were paying their taxes, and the entire city was transformed. If you see a city in decay, if you see a city wrought with crime, then it's hard to see any hope there. But you have to change your frame of mind to perceive joy in all things, just like the woman who swept the floor She tidied up her space in order to find joy. She cleaned up everything around her that needed cleaned up. When we are in pain, it's easy to want to hold on to our bitterness about the things that have happened to us. 
It's easy to clutch it so tightly that there's no way for our hands to be open to receive any kind of joy. But we have to release our resentment, our anger, our bitterness, our fear, and our worries in order to make room for joy in our lives. So today I ask you, what do you need to clean up? What do you need to let go of? What or who do you need to make amends with? How do you begin to see death as resurrection possible? If you see death as an opportunity for life, if you see decay as an opportunity for revitalization, if you see possibility in all things, then you reframe, you reframe your mind to perceive joy in all things. To do this, we have to learn to step outside of our own suffering and take a God-sized perspective on the world, to widen our lens. Mother Teresa says, never let anything so fill you with sorrow as to make you forget the joy of Christ risen. Never let anything make you forget the joy of Christ risen. To see the world with a kingdom perspective is to see everything as a possibility for redemption, revitalization. To cultivate joy is to hope is to believe that God has something bigger and more redemptive in store for our world. It's to believe that God's plan is bigger than what we can imagine or understand. And sometimes when we are in the middle of that season of grief and loss and pain, it's hard to look forward, to hope, to imagine something better could ever come from this. And so in those moments, look back. Look back to see the ways that in the past when something has happened, when you've gone through a difficult season, how God has brought you through. Remember God's faithfulness in the past, the ways that it's transformed you and made you who you are today. And that can help you to learn to see with eyes of hope toward the future. The third thing we do, so we repent, we release, and to cultivate joy, we have to receive. We have to be able to look for it, to see it, to find it when it's right there around us. It's only been a couple of hundred years since 1783 that we've been soaring above the earth. In hot air balloons originally, and then airplanes have come along, we've learned to take ourselves to the sky. And these experiences bring us joy because they remind us of the transcendence of our God. Our God is above all. Our God is bigger than everything around us. When we talk about joy, we often talk about floating and rising and soaring, and a smile curves up, right? We talk about health in the same way. We talk about the peak of our health or falling ill. Joy, things that are floating, spark transcendence because they remind us of the transcendence of our God, who is above all and in all and through all. Scholar N.T. Wright writes, In Jesus, there has come about a new union between heaven and earth, with the celebrations of one spilling over necessarily into the celebrations of the other. 
Jesus ushered in the kingdom of God, and heaven is spilling out all around us on this earth. God delights in us. God created us so that he could delight in us, to find joy in us, and he created this world for us to delight in. While doing the hard work of repentance takes time, and releasing that bitterness takes time, there's also ways that we can begin to look for and see joy right now in our very midst. Just like the woman who lost her coin searched until she found it. She was so overcome with joy when she did that it was cause for celebration for her entire community. All of us, as disciples of Christ, have to learn how to see joy, to look for it, to be intentional about it. In my pursuit of joy, I found all kinds of interesting research about the things in our everyday lives that spark joy. Because that's the way that God set up the world, for us to find joy in bright, vibrant colors. Because God painted the sky in blue and the grass in green, and he created the whole world in bright and beautiful colors to elicit joy, like the city in Albania. Fresh flowers spark joy in us because God created the lilies in the field and made all of this around us to delight in. And so I want to encourage you to go for a walk and notice the way that God created the earth, the things that God has made, the beauty of our creator. Also, I found that that light, lighting candles and hanging twinkly lights spark joy because it reminds us that the darkness cannot overcome the light. And so often we need that reminder, don't we? Joy comes in those moments that we pay attention that we look at the vibrant colors of the sky and the world that God has made, when we, when we take delight in the flowers that he has made, and when we spark light in the darkness. God made you for joy. God made you for joy. Let's remember that today. God made us for joy. God brought us into this world, and God wants joy for our lives. God is filling up the spaces around us, people and places and things for our enjoyment, because God loves us enough to come after us when we're over here in the darkness. He meets us there, ready to walk with us toward the light. God doesn't leave us over here, but he's ready to spark light in those dark places that we're in. God isn't afraid of where you've been or what you've seen or what you've done. Joy isn't fragile, and joy isn't fleeting. It's powerful enough to spark a light wherever you are today. And so as you're in the midst of grief and pain and loss and this difficult season, wherever you are today, Joy is possible, even and especially where you are right now. Joy wants to bring meaning to where you've been and give purpose to where you're going. So today I want to encourage all of us to begin looking for joy. All day long, let's notice 
what God has created around us. Let us go out in the afternoon and see the clouds as they soar through the sky and the stars tonight when they come out. Grab a balloon or some flowers to spark a little bit of joy in your day. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. Because God made this world for us to delight in with him. So let's turn on the lights and look for resurrection and accept God's gift to us. Will you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, we thank you for the gift of your creation, for the way that you have come to live here with us, that even in the midst of our pain and our grief today, even as we feel like death and darkness are all around, that you are here in these spaces with us, that we are never alone Give us the eyes to see and the ears to hear so that we might be people on the path of joy, seeking your direction and your will for our lives. God, we pray all of this in your holy name today. Amen.